Welcome to the collective, everybody. As you see, we switched it up a little bit, played a little bit more low-key. Um, tonight, my name is Ben Hilson. If you don't know me, if you're new to the collective, welcome. Um, I am the young adult pastor here at Village, and I run the young adult ministry here. And uh, tonight, we're wrapping up our series, uh, The Art of Being Human. And really, it's a series about spiritual practices. And we've been going through these different practices that a lot of us uh, don't really practice on a daily basis. And some of us don't even really know about. And we actually see Jesus practice these practices over and over again in the Gospels. And tonight, the last practice that I wanted to end with is, wait for it, prayer. Some of you guys, I just lost you because you're like, great, prayer. Boring, I'm here for the donuts, right? We already know that we need to pray. And we already know how many in the house know that we don't do it enough, right? I'll be the first one to admit that. And tonight, I don't want to talk about how to pray. I don't even want to talk about how we need to pray a lot, which we do need to pray. But I really want to talk about uh, why we struggle to pray. Why is it such a struggle to pray? Because here's the important thing, like we're missing something here. Because prayer is supposed to be a really powerful experience. And I'm telling you from experience, my own experience. And a lot of times prayer in the, the Bible and lots of theologians talk about prayer as a, being a weapon. And the thing is, a lot of us in this room, we don't use it like that. We don't think about prayer like that. And a lot of us, we're not tapping into the connection that this gift that God's given us to connect not only to him, but to relate to him. Prayer simply is communication with God, personal communication with God. So with that, why, why do we struggle with prayer? Well, I wanna look at, at Luke 22, uh, verse 39 to 40 tonight. And uh, we're gonna talk about prayer. And in this scene, we see Jesus uh, struggling through prayer. He's praying in this most intense moment. You know, he's just with his disciples. He was just giving them their final instructions of what was going to take place, what was going to happen. Uh, he just instigated the first communion, which we're going to partake at the end of service uh, together. And he's moments away, moments away from being betrayed by a kiss. And we see him in this moment praying intensely, like so intensely that blood's coming out of his pores. Okay, that's, that's intense prayer. And I think there's a lot that we can learn from how he prays here. So Luke 22, verse 39. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. And I'm going to read it out loud. It'll be on the screen behind me also. And he came out and he went, as, what, as was his custom, his habit, if you will, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. Just a little small tip. Prayer can help you not fall into sin. That's another reason uh, that I'm not going to go into, but just really simple, real tip. If you want to stop sinning, pray. And he tells them to pray so they won't enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed himself, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. So with that, I want to pray. I want to just take a moment and give you a moment to just wait on God. 
we, we come here together on Friday nights not to hear a, a sermon. I know that. Trust me, I don't like the sound of my own voice. So I'm not coming here like wanting to hear or just, just preach to you words off a page. No, I, I come here so that I, and I open up the word of God so that we can all together experience God. In the best ways that I know how, through prayer, through the Bible, through community. So with that, I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna kneel down and pray as we just wait on God. And if you would like to, just take this moment and simply ask God, God, what do you wanna say to me tonight? What do you wanna do in my life? So with that, let's pray. God, we thank you that you're in this place tonight. We know your presence goes with us wherever we go. And I'll be the first to admit, sometimes I forget that, God. Sometimes I forget how close you are to us, that your spirit lives inside of us. And in this room, God, there's young adults from all over the lower mainland that have come together to worship you, to glorify you. Some of us have just been dragged here by a friend and we don't even know what we're doing here, but I pray that you would meet us wherever we're at in our lives when it comes to our relationship with you. From the person who can care less if you're God or not, to the person who's looking for more of you, to experience more of you, to draw closer to you in the relationship. Again, I come before you knowing that you need to speak tonight. Your spirit needs to speak through me in order for us to be able to, to experience any transformation whatsoever. So I pray, I humbly come before you and I ask and I cry out in representing all of us that you would just move in this place, God. Holy Spirit, we know you're here, but we welcome you to do a work in our hearts. I pray, God, as we talk about you and we talk about what you have done for us, that the gospel would just go deeper into our hearts and that a response would just be one of gratitude and joy and love that we would just, that would just come out as we sing songs to you, as we participate in communion, God, as we pray together as a community. Your word says where two or three are gathered, you are there amongst them. And I pray, God, that everybody in this room would walk out of this place having an encounter with you, be it through your word, be it through the time of prayer, be it through the songs that we sing. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. So prayer, okay? Back in 2004, I was, what I, I was watching what I thought was the game of the century, if you will. Okay, so I was watching the NBA playoffs. It's coming close to that time of year again. And 2004, if you don't know, I know there's not a lot of NBA fans. <laughs> Every time I use a basketball illustration, I ask myself, why do I use a basketball illustration? Because I know a lot of you guys. Anybody watch basketball in here? Please put up your hand if you do. Thank you. Thank you, Riley. I see that hand. Okay, basketball. Lakers, 
If you don't know anything about me, I was born in Los Angeles, so I was born a Lakers fan, okay? From the age of six, I fell in love with the Lakers. I fell in love with the game of basketball. So May 13th, 2004 is a fond memory for me for two reasons. One, I, I, I watched I, with my own eyes on TV, on TV, just so nobody gets the wrong idea, uh, the great, one of the greatest shots in NBA history which I'll explain to you in a second. But the second thing that makes it a fond memory, uh, there was a 16-year-old girl that would hang out with me and my buddy all the time. And she would kind of come around my house and we do homework together. We'd play one-on-one basketball in my parking lot. And uh, yeah, we would skateboard. She tried to skateboard at least. And other things like that. And uh, this game, she watched with me. And it was actually, I think, one of the first times that we hung out by ourselves because she couldn't date yet. So we were watching this game, and she hates the Lakers, okay? She hates it, the Lakers with a passion. And she was just chirping me the whole time, all up in my face, just like, it's never going to happen. The series was tied 2-2. 0.4 seconds were on the clock. The San Antonio Spurs hit a shot. They go up by two. And it looks like, come on, 0.4 seconds. What can you do in 0.4 seconds, right? I don't know. But I was sitting there calmly as she yelled in my face, which I didn't mind, by the way, because she's pretty good looking. And... Um, she was all up in my face saying, it's over, it's over, it's over. And I was like, no, it's, it, it isn't. Just watch, just watch, just watch. It's gonna, they're going to make it happen. They're going to make it happen. I was cool, calm, and collected. And as I was saying that, the ball was inbounded. This dude, this player by the name of Derek Fisher, he grabbed the ball, threw up a shot while falling into the crowd and hit it. And then all of a sudden, the Lakers took off into the locker room, which I don't know why they did that still to this day. They just like took off. And everybody was like, what are these guys doing? Well, they were so excited. And I was so excited that I got up in my excitement, not really knowing what was going on, but just just feeling elated. And I kind of just quickly gave uh, this girl a nice little, you know, locker room, good job, good play, butt slap. (laughs) And now that girl's my wife. What's up? (laughs) No, Joey, bad advice. I was a dumb 17-year-old kid and you, you don't do that. I actually, I actually, in that moment, I was like, I really hope that she didn't notice that. <laughs> and I just tried to act cool and it didn't work. But I was thinking about this story and I was like, okay, why was I so cool, calm and collected as I was sitting there? And I realized that deep down, I had this belief I had this belief in 2004 that the Lakers were the best team in the NBA. We were talking about Kobe in his prime, and some of you don't even know what I'm talking about because you were like nine when that was going on. But that's fine. But plain and simple, what was happening in that moment was there, there, there was this behavior that I was showing, being cool, calm, and collected, that was evidence of a belief, something that I believed deep down inside. At, the core of who I was. So how does that relate to prayer? Well, when it comes to prayer, I believe the behavior of prayer, the work of prayer. I think a lot of us in this room don't pray because remember, prayer is evidence of what we actually believe. So we're missing a belief. At the core of who we are, maybe we say we believe certain things about God and how he works and how powerful he is, but the way that we work that out in real life, in our actions, actually shows us that we actually don't believe that. So what is that belief? Well, in Luke 22, 
Jesus is praying in the garden. And uh, it's, it's an intense scene, as I said. In the garden of Gethsemane, he's hours, moments before he's getting betrayed, before he's going to go to the cross. This is what he was living his life for. You got to understand you got to understand that this was what he was born to come and do on this earth. So there's a lot of pressure that he's feeling in this situation. And in these two verses, I think we see one of the most simplest prayers. It's two sentences, people, but one of the most powerful prayers. And it reads this in verse uh, 42, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus walks a couple yards away from the disciples. He's by himself. He kneels down. He starts praying. And I just want you to notice this in these verses. I want you to notice the honesty of Jesus. Okay? I'm going to read again. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Remove this cup from me. Jesus is showing us right here how to pray. And it's really simple. When it comes to how to pray, we just need to be honest with God. We just need to be real. We just tell him what is on our hearts. See, a lot of us, when it comes to prayer, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm really, I get really self-conscious, especially when I'm talking out loud or praying in a group. And it's all about, like, I'm not sure what I can say or what I should say to God, right? And I'm fumbling through words in my head. And a lot of times when I'm praying, I'm like usually going through uh, things that I've already heard other people say before or I've heard them just pray out loud. And sometimes, a lot of times when it comes to group prayer, I would sit there self-conscious quietly because I did not know what to pray. And sure, Jesus gives us a model for prayer in Luke. It's called the Lord's Prayer. But listen to me, we don't need to follow that to a T to be heard by God. Some of you need to listen to hear that tonight. You don't need to follow that to a T to be heard by God. God just wants you to pour out your heart to him, whatever you're going through in that moment, whatever emotions you are feeling. See, this is what I love about praying with uh, new Christians, okay? So one time I was praying with a bunch of new Christian guys in a circle, and we were doing like, you know, the classic popcorn prayer. And if you don't know what popcorn prayer is, it's just when you guys go around the circle and you say like a couple lines of a prayer. Like, God, thank you for this food. And then somebody says, God, thank you for this light. I don't know. But that's how it is. And we're going through uh, this group popcorn prayer. And uh, it was getting pretty heavy. And I loved it. I love authentic prayer like that. When people are just praying exactly what they're struggling with, exactly what they're going through. And then all of a sudden, this one dude, super raw, okay, super new believer, just all of a sudden drops this F-bomb in the middle of the prayer as he's praying. And it pretty much went like this. God, I'm a, I'm a fill-in-the-blank mess. And in that moment, like, I don't know, what do you do, right? <laughs> what do you do? I was like sitting there, I'm leading this prayer group and I'm thinking to myself, do, do I, like I'm a pretty vocal guy when I pray. Um, some of you that pray with me might know that. So I'm like, what do I do? Do I go, yes, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> or amen, like what do I do in that moment, right? And so I'm sitting there and I'm like, I'm like, okay, maybe I should take him to the side afterwards and just talk to him and explain to him how, how prayer works. And in that moment, I remember so clear that the Holy Spirit convicted me. And if I had to put it into words, he was like, how dare you judge this guy 
who knows no better, who's just trying to express exactly how he feels, his hatred towards sin, that he wants God to forgive him. How dare do you, you judge his prayer? See, the only way that you're gonna be able to pray with that honesty, the honesty that I just showed you about this new believer and the honesty that we see Jesus show us in the garden is if you believe that God is your father, that God's your father. See, this is the key when it comes to prayer, that we need to realize that God is our father. And some of us are missing that. That's, that's one of the beliefs that, sure, we say it with our mouth, but do we believe it in our heart? And in this moment, we see Jesus enter into his prayer with this. He, he spills, before he spills out his heart, he addresses God as, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. See, the word Father in uh, the original language can also be uh, pronounced Abba, not the band. But Abba means, like the author's trying to encapsulate this idea of God being our, uh, a, a father, a good father, a father that's a lot, that functions a lot like our earthly father. So when it comes to authentic prayer, the author wants us to know that when it comes to relating to God, we need to relate to him in the same way that we would uh, the warmth, the intimacy, and the authority of a loving earthly father. And I believe that when it comes to prayer, there's no other better way to describe this interaction than the interaction of a father and a child. And God has been uh, teaching me, I'm not used to these rugs, I'm about to trip, seriously. Um, but God's been teaching me a lot about what it means to be a father or how this relationship works because I am a father. And some of you might know, um, I look young, but I have three kids, soon to be four. That's right. Thank you very much. Can't keep my hands off my wife. Um, but yeah, soon to be four. And he's been teaching me a lot about how this relationship works. And clearly, when it comes to uh, uh, he, uh, teaching me what it means to approach him as father, uh, my daughter, Vesper, she's two, okay? And uh, I love her to death. And I, I've told you guys how much I love my daughter, Vesper. And the cutest thing that she does is in the morning, like clockwork at 7 o'clock, she'll come into our room. Uh, and we're like, how did you get out? And usually her brother helps her out of her crib. It kind of freaks us out because if she could get out of her crib, who knows what she's doing, right? But she runs into our room. She grabs me or my wife usually. She takes me by the hand downstairs, uh, goes right to the fridge, opens up the fridge, and starts like babbling, like blah, 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 and pointing and stuff like that. She can't talk, but she can think. She thinks she can talk. And she's pointing to uh, Yoplait tubes. Back in the day, they were known as Gogurt. Anybody remember Gogurt? Thank you. Anybody still about that Gogurt life? Mm, yeah, Yoplait, right? Anyways, she points to these tubes and she's like, she wants yogurt. So I grab her, put her in her seat, and I, I give her the Gogurt or the Yoplait tube. And uh, I go to grab scissors. And as I'm grabbing the scissors, I see her like starting to rip it open or try to rip it open, I should say, with her teeth or pull it apart with her fingers. But it's like almost impossible, right? That's why I went to go get the scissors. And as I reach to go grab the Yoplait tube and cut it open, she says the only word that she can say super clearly, uh, it comes out of her mouth and she goes, no, no. And in that moment, I'm like, okay, why wouldn't you want me to help you? Because I'm trying to instill in her 
that I'm her good father, that I want what's best for her, right? I want her to enjoy that strawberry Yoplait tube, right? And if she finished that one, I'll go get her another one. Right? But in that moment, what's happening? Well, I think what's happening is that when she doesn't let me help her, even though she might not articulate it in this way, there's a belief coming to the surface. She's displaying through her actions what's true of us all as human beings. And one theologian says it like this. The human ego assumes its self-sufficiency and self-mastery and imagines itself secure. It does not recognize the contingent and dependent character of its life and believes itself, get this, to be the author of its own existence. So there's this belief that we as humans move towards that causes us to push against getting help at all times, even as a two-year-old. We see this every time that my daughter says no to me. And not only that, this belief trumps the belief in my daughter's mind that I'm her good father. So she's actually operating in unbelief, unbelief that I want what's best for her. And her behavior of pushing back is evidence of that belief, even though she doesn't know it yet. And this is true of us when we don't pray. Because think about it, when we don't pray, prayer is going to God, communicating with him personally and asking him to help us in whatever situation we're in. What are we doing? We're just acting in self-sufficiency. We're just trying to do it ourselves. We're just trying to control the situation to the best of our ability. It's exactly like me, my daughter, and the Yoplait yogurt tube. I don't know how it's worked out in your life, but for me, when I, first follow, when I first started following Jesus, you know, I would say with my mouth that God was good, that he was my good father, like I understood what he did on the cross for my sins, etc. But the thing was, when it came to sin, as soon as I fell into sin, as soon as I would get back into that struggle, for some reason I would hesitate to approach him I would hesitate to engage him in prayer. And in those moments, I would wait for days at times to go back to God in prayer. And what, what is that behavior telling me? Sure, there's a lot of things that, uh, there was a lot of ways I was operating in that were, that, that were wrong. A lot of areas of unbelief. But here's the thing. I didn't believe deep down that God was good that God was loving, that he loved me with this unconditional love. And when I say God's goodness, when I'm talking about God's goodness, you need to understand this. We're talking about his mercy, his grace, his patience. Mercy meaning God's goodness towards those in misery and distress. Grace meaning God's goodness towards those who deserve only punishment. His patience meaning withholding a punishment towards those who sin over a period of time. So sin over and over and over again. So even though I'd say those things were true about God and I understood them at a head level at least, I wouldn't, my behavior wouldn't show that whatsoever. I'd be like, okay, I got drunk again, so how could I go and approach God after that? Or I gave in and I looked at porn again. Or I tried to hook up with my girlfriend again. Or I did whatever, you name that sin again. 
How could I approach God? My, my, my mind was working and it was like, okay, you need to clean yourself up. You need to give it some time. You need to wait a little bit before you can approach God. And sure, there's some reverence there that I understood that God was holy, that God was perfect, and that I couldn't just approach him. But in that moment, what, what, what was I doing? Really, the belief that was working in my heart was that I thought it was all up to me. I was basing all my actions and my behavior on my works, not Jesus' works, meaning his death, his burial, his resurrection, what he did for me. And a lot of us in this room, we operate like that. When it comes to prayer, when it comes to approaching God, we believe more it's about what we do, our goodness, living a moral life, than what Jesus did. Even though we know, Paul says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and it's this, not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Summed up, you get what you don't deserve. And the only reason you can even approach God and pray to him is because of Jesus. See, some of us would say in this moment, as I read that verse, that we believe that. But does your behavior show, is, is your behavior evidence of that belief? See, in the moment when I, I sin and I don't go to God, it's evidence what I truly believe. And when you do that, it's evidence of what you truly believe. And if we're truly trusting Jesus and his works, the works that he did for us on the cross, we should be able to go to God in prayer anytime and approach him like he's our father. But the thing is, a lot of us have grown up in a culture where it's been embedded in our minds that you get what you deserve. You get what you deserve. And we almost operate like that at a subconscious level without even knowing it. Just think about our school system, right? How does it work? You get good grades and you get into a good university. You get great grades and maybe you even get a scholarship or if you're good at sports, right? Hence why I'm starting my son playing basketball right now. He's like six. He's going to get that scholarship. Gonzaga, even though they lost. Anyways. But that's how it works, right? That's how our mind works in our heads. And we don't know that's how we're behaving, but that's what actually is coming out. And that behavior is evidence of that belief. And tonight, some of you, I don't know where you are when it comes to the spectrum of belief that God is your good father. But this is where I want to kind of end tonight. I don't know what you walked in with. And I know my message is a little bit shorter than usual, but <laughs> this is what I was thinking. As I was thinking about how to talk about prayer or what should I talk about when it comes to prayer, I'm like, the best way to learn about prayer is to pray. To pray, just simply to pray. And I want to make sure that we all get enough of a chance, enough of a moment, enough of time to do that together. Because I really believe when the community of God comes together, the body of Christ comes together and prays, God works in crazy ways. And we just experienced that. Some of you might have been there this past Monday when our whole church or most of our church came together to pray at the Bell Center. And so as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about, okay, God, I don't know what these people are going through in this moment and how they look at you when it comes to the relationship of you being their good father. And maybe right now you're in the midst of the worst season of your life. 
Maybe all the evidence in your life is telling you that how can God be your good father? Right? You can relate to Jesus in this moment, feeling the pressure of what he's about to do, feeling maybe even tasting the pain of the cross, bearing the sins of the world. And you're like, how can God be good? You know, maybe you're suffering from just intense loneliness. Maybe you're suffering from uh, struggling with the loss of a job or depression or anxiety. Maybe some of you in the room tonight uh, just came out of a long-term relationship and you're kind of like not sure what just happened. Maybe some of you are just wondering, God, where are you? It's like as if you're not even with me, even though your word says that you're with me and you're for me. Like, where are you? See, what we see in this moment as Jesus is praying, see, he says, like, remove this cup from me. Like, I don't want to do this. But he says, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. What is he doing there? See, deep down, there's this deep trust. Jesus has this intimate relationship with God. And that's what prayer moves us towards. It moves us towards a deeper relationship with God. Because really, like all these spiritual practices, they're just about enjoying Jesus. They're not about getting anything from him. They're just about spending time in his presence. And that's what prayer is doing. And the only way that, like Jesus, we can ever say that, God, let your will be done in my life, no matter what we're going through, is if we have this deep trust. And the only way that that can happen is if you realize how much God loves you, no matter what you're going through. See, I, I believe that Jesus realized that. Jesus understood the love of God. And that's what moved him forward, knowing that through his death, every one of us, anybody that would repent and believe that Jesus is Lord, could come into that relationship with the God of the universe. And so just to remind you of God's love for you, I just want to share Paul's words that he writes in uh, Romans 8.31. And I'm going to share it in the message version. And you guys can stand with me. And I'm going to call the band up. And we're going to move into a time of prayer. And it might be a little different than normal, but that's okay. And I want to let, like, close your eyes. Let these words just hit you. And if you don't feel comfortable closing your eyes, that's fine. Some of you do what you need to do. Paul writes, message version, Romans 8, 31. So what do you think? With God on our side like this, how can we lose? If God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son, is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? And who would dare tangle with God by messing with one of God's chosen? That's me and you. Who would dare even to point a finger? The one who died for us, who was raised to life for us, is in the presence of God at this very moment, sticking up for us. Do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? There's no way. 
Not trouble, not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst sins listed in scripture. They kill us in cold blood because they hate you. We're sitting ducks. They pick us off one by one. But none of this phases us because Jesus loves us. I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our master, has embraced us. Let's pray. God, we just give you this moment. And we ask that you come and you do a work in our hearts. God, I don't know what you want to do tonight in this place. But as we were praying into earlier during our prayer time, God, we believe as a team that you want to mend hearts tonight. There's a lot of young adults that have come into this place carrying a lot of baggage, God, a lot of brokenness, God. And you are our good father. You're a father that liberates, God. So I pray, God, that your love would be poured out in this place through your spirit as we confess sin to one another, as we pray for one another, as we come together, God, to encourage each other to to run this race, God, to the best of our ability for your glory, for your honor, for your praise. So Holy Spirit, come and move and work and change and transform. You're a helper, you're a comforter, God. We just wait for you in this place, God. Show us the sin in our life that entangles us, God. Be it addiction. Be it just lies that the enemy is feeding us that have caused us to stumble into sin. Be it unbelief, God. I pray that your your light, the light of the gospel, would just shine in those areas, God because we know your will is to make us whole. And Jesus, I pray for those in this place who are suffering, God, suffering with a sickness or a disease or suffering with thoughts of suicide, whatever it may be, God. I pray that they would experience you in a real way as we move into this time of communion and as we sing these songs, God that they would experience your grace, your mercy, your patience, your love, that they would understand that before you ask anything from us, you gave to us, God. You gave us your only son who bled and died for our sins and was buried and was raised again on the third day, God. And that same spirit 
that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of us and is working right now in this moment. So God, we just ask that you would do a work above and beyond what we can ask or imagine. In Jesus' name. So Kenzie is gonna come back up and lead us in a time of prayer. But I would just ask you guys to take these next couple moments before we go into group prayer to really listen to these words as they start the song and to let them hit you in a real way and allow your heart to just be moved and respond in worship as you realize what you're singing. And after that, we're gonna move into a time of group prayer. And if you're new, don't feel like you have to pray. Most of the people around you probably know what to do, but we're just gonna huddle up three to four to five people. It doesn't really matter. Turn your chairs if you need to and just pray. And sometimes it's scary if you're gonna pray with a stranger, you don't have to pour out your heart to them. But what we're gonna try to do tonight is something that we did on Monday and uh, Pastor Ken taught us to do this. And it was really that sometimes we waste time when we're praying as a group. And so in order not to waste time, we're all gonna pray. So if somebody's praying in your group, you just pray under your breath for whatever that person is praying about. Be it something in their life, you just pray in agreement. And if you don't even know what to say, just say, Jesus, please do that for them. <laughs> you can say that under your breath. Whatever it may be, whatever comes to your mind. And what, if God lays something on your heart that you wanna pray for in your life or maybe in your friend's life or a person in the group, you just start praying that out loud. And everybody takes about 20 to 30 seconds to pray, okay? So you're not praying longer than 20 to 30 seconds. We're all gonna be sitting in a group of three to four to five, praying, and as things get laid on your heart, just pray them out. That's what we're doing, remember? What prayer is, it's about just being real with God in this place. And after that, Kenzie's gonna lead us in communion. And if you don't call yourself a follower of Jesus, don't feel like you have to partake and join us in communion. You could just sit, you could just listen to the music. But with that, I want you guys just take a moment before we go into group prayer just to pray on your own and sing this song. <laughs> 